Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylock. Let's get started. In a recent episode, we revisited the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. Now, I myself all these years believed Adam to have been maybe a weak-minded person for listening to his wife Eve and accepting her call to eat of that forbidden fruit. Well, guess what? After some deeper studies, my opinion of Adam has completely changed. Some questions maybe, could he really be that gullible? Or does this mean that Adam and Eve might not even be saved? Well, please join us now as we put on our spiritual goggles and go diving for God's treasures found only in Scripture. A reading from the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. That was 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always apply the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that we created to remind us to consider the speaker, SP, audience, A, and context, C, of a Bible passage before we attempt an explanation. So let's use the SPACE method on today's scripture reading, Andy. Okay, Jordan. So we'll start out by saying that the speaker and writer of this letter is Paul the Apostle. A couple points about Paul. He was an apostle, although not one of the original 12 apostles, who taught the gospel of Christ to the first century world. Paul is generally considered one of the most important figures of the early church, and in the mid-30s to about the mid-50s AD, Paul founded several churches in Asia Minor and Europe. Yeah, Paul himself claims ownership of this letter in the opening verse, which reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Now, 1 Timothy is one of three letters authored by Paul in the New Testament of the Bible that is often grouped together as the pastoral epistles, along with 2 Timothy and Titus. Okay, so now the audience. The literal audience Paul directed this letter to was Timothy. Paul himself addressed Timothy in verse 2, and it reads like this. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So even the epistle is titled Timothy, so it's pretty obvious here. Now, Timothy was Paul's prodigy who was pastoring the church at Ephesus at that time. And verse 3 supports this by saying, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Yeah, the relationship between Paul and Timothy is one of what we'd call mentorship in the modern age. You know, Timothy is first mentioned in Acts 16.1. His mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois are mentioned in 2 Timothy 1.5. All that we know about his father is that he was a Greek, not a Jew, and that's in Acts 16.1. So 
Paul's second visit to, to Lystra is when Timothy first connected with Paul, and that's in 1 Timothy 1.2 and 2 Timothy 3.11. He not only brought Timothy into the faith, but he was Timothy's main mentor in Christian leadership, and we can see that in Acts 16.3. A lot of references, but just wanted to give everyone the backup for all the things that we're saying. Sure, absolutely. Now, Paul and Timothy spent their time church planting and going on missionary journeys together. Timothy himself received his authority to preach in churches directly from Paul, who of course was well known by early church leadership and then accepted as an apostle. Now, Timothy's official position in the church was one of an evangelist, and we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. And Timothy was also noted for coming to Paul's aid when Paul fell into prison. And we read about that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. And he stayed and worked in Ephesus until he finally suffered a martyr's himself. Very important for our study today to keep in mind that the figurative audience is the reader of today. Thanks, Jordan. So now we're going to talk about context. And the context is instruction for leadership by mentor to mentee, from Paul to Timothy. Now in this letter, Paul mainly counsels his younger colleague Timothy regarding his ministry in Ephesus. Paul's concerns are that the organization of the church and Timothy's own leadership within the body. Major themes include the proper usage of the law, warnings against false doctrines, instructions for prayer, roles of men and women in the church, qualifications for leaders of the church, and proper treatment of widows, elders, masters, youth, and church members in general. The overall tone and context suggests there must have been new heretical doctrines that were being introduced into the church, which was a common problem in the early church, and those could cause divisions and permanent damage amongst its members. As for today's study, we want to focus only on two scriptures to bring out a specific point. They are in 1 Timothy 2, 13-14. That section of verses, meaning verses 9-15, to is often titled in Bibles as Instruction for Women. They highlight that according to God, women on a spiritual level are a weaker vessel and more susceptible to attack from the enemy. But there's a great blessing in understanding the significance of these verses and how the church as a whole is represented by women, going all the way back to Eve herself. Yeah, for sure, Jordan. So then, now that we know the speaker, the audience, and context of our scripture reading for today, we're ready for an explanation. But before explaining, let's just recap today's study verse again. And it reads, For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Yeah, but to begin our study, Andy, we really need to go back and look at the story that's being referenced here, which is in Genesis, obviously. And I'd like to uh, start reading in Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. 
Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, Jordan, so I just kind of want to pick out a couple of key points here in your reading, and I'll be brief about it. So I think the key points here are going to be certain verses which are going to develop and help with our explanation towards the end of our study today. And those are, first of all, God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So here we see that God is in control. God is sovereign. God's plan was to make him that woman. It wasn't that Adam asked him, but God saw Adam as being lonely. So again, and then the rest of it goes, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned it into a woman, the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So again, self-explanatory. And then finally, the man and his wife at this point were both naked and were not ashamed. So again, just a key point to know where we are in case some of you just needed a refresher on the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis. Yeah, and, and uh, just a small point too. In the beginning, because they were, this whole point about being one flesh um, was to the point where God didn't, they, didn't, they weren't distinct names for Adam and Eve in the beginning. I, th- I think it's Adam that names Eve, mother of all living, right? But ultimately, God originally just called them both Adam, if you look at, this, if you look at the Old Testament scriptures. And then, and then she had her own name, but um, that's how much God looked at them as one, one being. And you see here this, uh, this famous wedding verse about, you know, uh, uh, um, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and that shall become one flesh. I mean, really, that's the, the, the purest essence of marriage is found here, because the, the two, the, the one came out, you know, the, the two came out of the one, and then they rejoin in the in sacrament of marriage. Yeah, very good points, Jordan. So what I'm going to do now is uh, we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 3, and for your own home study, we recommend that you read verses 1 to 15. And um, just, just for the sake of saving time, what I'm going to do is just pick out some of the key points here in these verses. Picking up in verse 3, it reads, But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And then later in verse 5, Satan tells her, You will be like God, telling Eve. And then in verse 6, some key points here, we see that it was a delight to the eyes for the woman. And then later in verse 7, And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 9 reads, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Moving down to verse 12, The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and then I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? So a couple of key points, you know, in this, you know, the, these verses here um, that I want to bring out because we're building these, these points later on, Jordan, is, you know, we see a conversation in the garden. Um, you could assume that the devil, Satan, was alone with Eve at one point, and he was tempting her in three different ways. He was tempting her with, with her flesh, with the the pride of life, knowing that one day she, 
she could be like God, um, that it tasted good, and it was beautiful. So very ironically, very similar to the way he tempted our Lord Jesus Christ after he was baptized, yes, in the desert. So it's just, what we see here so far is just how everything is getting rendered out as we move on in the story. Yeah, the, the main temptation, which you read part of, you will be like God, and the second part of that is knowing good and evil, like the, you'll, you'll have the knowledge yes, of God. Yes, you know? So here's one of the questions that, you know, I want to go back to in the beginning of our lesson today. I, I asked, which might be some people at home asking, were Adam and Eve saved? Jordan, what do you say of that? Well, obviously the Bible doesn't specifically tell us whether Adam and Eve were saved, but, you know, they were the only two human beings who knew about God before they became tainted with sin, and obviously before they partook of the apple, um, you know, salvation wasn't necessary because sin hadn't been introduced, but as a result, they likely still knew God better after their fall than any of us do today. So, you know, think about that. They were still so close to, mm-hmm. to God, having spoke, spoken to Him, walked with Him in the garden. And, uh, you know, you can say they most definitely believed in and depended on God, which is really the core of salvation. So that's one way to answer the question. Yeah, Jordan, I mean, if you, look, if you think about it, God continued to talk with Adam and Eve and provide for them even after the fall. And, you know, we'll read a little bit more about that in a moment. And consider Adam and Eve knew of God's promises because he would provide a Savior for them. We learned that later, and then therefore... You know, we could say that they had faith for salvation, and eventually, when Jesus freed the captives in Sheol, which we learn about in the New Testament, by paying for the sins of the world after he died on the cross, and then he brought paradise into the third heaven, and then they were saved. So, you know, they didn't have a savior or payment for sin at this moment, but they, I would say, most definitely went into the paradise section of Sheol, waiting one day for their savior. Yeah, so... I mean, that's not 100% of a clear answer, but I think you put things together. I mean, the, the main component we know of salvation is faith in God, and they definitely had that because they walked with God. So then the question becomes, after sin was introduced, they were still walking with God. God was still looking over them. You know, they had just obviously been cast out of the garden. And part of that, just like, the, just like all, the, all the Jewish people, by the way, before Christ died on the cross, they were kind of saved on this layaway plan you know, looking forward to and trusting in the promise of the, of the future Messiah, the future payment for sin. Yes, and also, Jordan, we're going to talk about this in a moment after this next reading, but we see that God provided a beautiful type for you and I and all of us at home that read Genesis to see that, that he provided a sacrifice symbolic of what Jesus Christ did for us. So, but moving on, Genesis now, chapter 3, 16 to 21. Maybe you could read that, Jordan. Yeah, I think uh, maybe we'll just, again, to save time, like you said, we'll just focus on verse 17. So basically what happens is that, you know, the curse comes and God, God curses both the man and the woman, and we're going to focus on, on the man's curse, Adam's curse. Uh, to Adam, he said, this is verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Yeah, Jordan, I mean, it's... Um this is something that we, we often think about as Christians today, how it says in the, the New Testament that a man who does not work by the sweat of his brow is sometimes worse than a non-believer, right? So, you know, we kind of build from that, that this curse carries on till today. However, going to back to our points earlier that we discussed, if you look at verse 21, when we were talking about typology, we see that the Word of God says, the Lord God made garments of skin, for Adam and his wife. 
and clothed them. So remember earlier when they first recognized that they were able to know what sin was, Adam and Eve sewed their own garment to cover themselves, which was made from leaves. That's basically symbolic of them trying to cover sin with their own works. Mm. Here we see in typology, God is actually providing them a sacrifice because it's the skin of an animal. So what you don't see is that obviously God must have sacrificed an animal. There was a blood sacrifice in order to provide that skin, right? And then he provided that for Adam and Eve to cover themselves. Yeah, and what you're saying, I think, is uh, what many Bible scholars understand, that this was the first animal sacrifice, and it, it foreshadows in the sense that you're saying, I think this is where you're leading with this, the eventual death of Jesus Christ, as all sacrifices, all of the, the sacrifices that, you know, the under Mosaic law they had to do, pointed forward to the eventual death of Christ on the cross for the sins of the world, the once and for all sacrifice, if you will. And you put these facts together, Andy, it would seem that Adam and Eve were saved then, therefore, and did indeed go to heaven or paradise, as the case may be, when they died. And maybe we can talk a little bit about the difference between heaven and paradise briefly for people not, not familiar with it. Sure. So um, we, we did touch upon it a little bit earlier. Paradise was in shale, which was in the earth, and it was split in two. There was a good section and a bad section. So if, if you were a, a Jew, for instance, who looked forward to one day being saved, had faith that one day God would provide a sacrifice or someone to save them, then those people went into the paradise section of Sheol. However, if there, if there were people back then who did not look forward to salvation or did not have faith that God was going to provide that propitiation for them, then those people went into the bad section of Sheol. Whereas today... People no longer go into paradise or the bad section of Sheol because when Jesus died, he actually, according to Scripture, traveled into the earth, preached to those who were captive in paradise, and then took that section of Sheol and, according to Scripture, brought it up to the third heaven where God the Father is. So basically, according to law, for everyone to understand, sin was only atoned for. It was only covered up with a blanket by all the sacrifices via the Mosaic law. It wasn't officially paid for. It wasn't until Jesus Christ came and died for the sins of the world, paid for all sin that ever was and ever will be, that people were free now to come into God's presence, who was a holy God. And that's why today, paradise is in heaven. It's in the third heaven. Yeah, you know, we often talk about typology, which is the study of uh, symbols and what things stand for in the Bible. And when you really get into that, especially with regard to the sacrifices and the specifics of the law, the materials they had to use, how they had to go about the sacrifices, you realize all those things point forward to, to Christ. Um, I, I do want to ask you one question, though, Andy. Uh, it's it's uh, something that, um, you know, when you look at Scripture, sometimes we can get confused, and there seems to be uh, a little point of confusion that maybe you can help clarify. For example, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. It says, it says man, but then we see um, in our reading today that it wasn't Adam that was deceived, technically, it was Eve, and uh, our scripture reading, 1 Timothy 2.14 says, Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So how, how did sin enter the world through Adam? In other words, why, why doesn't it say sin entered the world through Eve? Well, those are great questions, and obviously we all know as Christians God has a plan, and He's an awesome God, and this was part of how things unfold today. So my answer to that would be that, Jordan, you know, the passage in Timothy is regarding 
instruction to a Christian woman. Okay, mm-hmm. we touched upon that. And what their role is within the church and the home. Now, the woman here is a type of the church body as a whole in relation to Jesus Christ being our future husbandman. The passage in Romans 5 that you're speaking of is regarding the importance of justification and how it was necessary for sin to take place in the purpose of God's plan to eventually reveal himself to his elect, which are people he predestined for salvation, everlasting life, of course, and that's all of us today listening to this program. Therefore, the plan of sin entered into existence by God's design, Jordan. Adam was just a type of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so Andy, I guess that leads to the next natural question is, why did Adam choose to eat the forbidden fruit and take on sin? Well, let's look at what Scripture tells us, Jordan. And I would say, in order to answer this clearly, let's look back again at a few key points. God placed Adam to rule and reign over the earth. Satan disqualified him from this. And then Satan ruled until someone qualified came through to fix what Adam messed up on, and then eventually would take over Adam's rightful domain. A second Adam, who we know as Jesus Christ, without sin came and overcame to rule and reign on the earth. So, you know, briefly here, we see that, again, recapping what we said earlier, you know, Satan came to the Garden of Eden, he caught Eve's attention, and then he subtly tempted her. She ended up taking the apple, which is the pride of life or, or her spirit. And we see there that, like we talked earlier, there was a trichotomy that Satan was attacking as far as Eve was going. He really wanted to destroy her body, soul, and spirit. And of course, Eve wanted her right to choose, right? So she did not want to become accountable to God. She wanted to be like God because that's what Satan offered her. And, you know, you could kind of say that there's still all types of Eves today, men and women, because we see people wanting their right to choose without following God's law. And of course, the key here to understand is Adam's role, Jordan. You know, Eve was deceived according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, but Adam was not. She came to Adam, and Adam knew what he was risking and doing. Therefore, when Adam ate the fruit, get this, because this is amazing, he took her sins upon himself. Adam knowingly did this because he loved her so much, knowing that he would lose paradise so that later on he could raise her up and bring her back. So I see, Andy, what you're trying to say is that this is God trying to show us this type of Christ and us, his church. So you'd have to imagine that God told Adam many things. First of all, that he could eat of every tree in the garden except one. We know that, right? And then when God made Adam and presented Eve back to him as his wife, he said, Eve shall be bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. We read that earlier. So this is kind of where God established their marriage, which as we know is a beautiful mystery that according to the scripture should be kept sacred. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, God saw them as one person, as the same bone and the same flesh. And then God said, man will be with his wife and separate himself from his father and mother, and man will cleave to his wife. And then there's a part in the story where Adam's actions did not amount to sin. It's when Adam found out that Eve sinned, and in obedience to God, he did not put her away or abolish her when he found that out. She was his wife, and he still cleaved to her. And he says through his actions, I will take your sins upon myself. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, especially if you consider the typology here, Jordan, right? So, you know, who does this obviously sound like? Now we have a better understanding of how much Jesus Christ loves his church by taking on our sin upon himself. If Adam can make that sacrifice because he loved Eve so much, it's that much easier for us to understand today why Jesus would go to the extreme of taking sin upon himself and paying for it in full. So again, we learned that Eve was deceived and not Adam, 
but Adam bore Eve's sin, just like Jesus bore our sin. And that's a true example of love, Jordan. He did not want to live without her, and he sacrificed everlasting life in paradise rather for death into Sheol. He was definitely not weak-minded, as some of us might have thought, but stronger than we could imagine. You could say he was Eve's hero. And that is our lesson. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.